People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. And welcome to Kidney Talk. We're here in San Francisco still. Yes, we're at the ANNA conference. Or, or the Ameri- ANNA. They did get pissed. I started singing selections from Annie. Annie. Know? And, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> they, they escorted me from the lobby, and I just didn't get it. You didn't get it. Now, huh? what have you seen in San Francisco? Have you gone out? Or Actually, I just got here yesterday, but I love San Francisco. It's so beautiful, and they have a wonderful Nordstrom's here. They have Nordstrom's in your neighborhood, I know, Lori. but this one's a little bit better. When I first became a dialysis patient, there was so much I didn't know. And I think there's a lot that... They don't tell you. They just say, you have to go on dialysis. And I remember seeing the dialysis room for the first time, which was a shock to me. Yeah, it is pretty scary. The smell alone will just like throw you for a loop. Right, because the patients don't shower? No, just the smell of the like the formaldehyde and the cleaning agents. I mean, I can actually recall that smell right now. I didn't like the smell that was coming from the workers' uh, lunchroom. <laughs> they would always make like popcorn and stuff. And yes, or they bring smell in food. It. And but, you know, you but know, the, but and the, some dialysis units say we don't want you to eat while you're on dialysis. No, it's 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 difficult. But today we're going to be talking to Mary Hoglum. I oh I I love Mary Hoglum. And and she's come all the way from Duluth, Minnesota. Very cold area. Very cold. I wonder if she'll be wearing a coat. Well, we're going to be talking to Mary about conversations with the nurse. You know, when I met Mary several years ago, she's the nurse everybody wants to have because she cares so much about the patients. And she'll have these conversations with you and tell you the real things and things you need to know in a way that you can understand them. So she's going to talk to us a little bit about... Well, that's very unusual because, you know, a lot of nurses don't give you the time. They don't have the time. They don't have the time. They're busy. But she's just very committed to her patients. So when we come back, we'll talk to Mary Hoglum. Hi, folks. Crazy Kidney Kid here to tell you about the incredible specials we're having. We are definitely wheeling and dealing this weekend. If I can't put you in a proper axis, a lifeline like me and the missus like to call them, then I'll stand on my head and eat a low-sodium bug. First, we have a Crazy Kidney Kid special on hemodialysis access with several different models. We have catheters great for the beginners or in any emergency, but you'll soon want to move up to a more sporting model. Next, we have the AV graft, a good utility access. But believe me, sweet folks, I have saved the best for last, the fistula. This is the access that everyone is talking about. You'll get great mileage and years of use with this baby. What's that you say? Hemo just doesn't fit the lifestyle you prefer, PD? Well, feast your eyes on this baby. Oh, I forgot this is radio. You'll just have to trust me on this one, folks. This is the PD catheter model. Beautiful, efficient, and easily hidden from view. So take your pick. We're dealing all week. We'll really have to move these babies. Keep your access clean and free of infection. A daily check for signs of redness and warmth could indicate infection. Check with your health care team for tips on how to keep your dialysis access clean and safe for use. And remember, if I can't put you in one of these lifelines, I'll stand on my head and eat a low-sodium bug. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you have to do is call. 
Mary Hoagland, welcome to Kidney Talk. It's so exciting to see you again. Remember the weekend we had in Napa? Not quite. It must have been a good weekend. <laughs> it was such a wonderful weekend that you forgot. Uh, yeah, you dressed up like a Viking, and your husband mm-hmm. came, and he was the you know had the horns, and we did things and drank wine, and you don't remember that. Listen, why did you become a nurse, and how did you become a nurse there? And did I became you know a when nurse. You a little girl that you wanted to be a nurse. When I was a little girl, I was sick for quite a while and I was in the hospital for nearly a year and I had this one very special nurse. I can see her and she was the night nurse. Let's call her Mrs. Beasley. Okay. And I was eight and I was frightened often at night. I'd I'd have nightmares and this sweet little nurse would come in and hold my hand until I fell asleep, kind of like my mom. And... All I could see was basically the light coming in from the hall around her cap, so I never really got to see her face that I much. I love the caps. I, I know. I'm so sorry they don't wear those now. And the night before I was discharged, when I finally got to go home, I remember telling her, when I grow up, I'm going to be a nurse just like you. And I did. I had a physician when I was younger. All I know him as is Dr. Gobble Gobble. <laughs> Because Dr. Gobble Gobble would come in and say, if you eat your food, I'll give you this. And he'd go, gobble, 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 gobble. And if I ate my food, he would come back with a stuffed this toy. actually was a licensed physician. It's a licensed physician. Oh, okay. And because he knew how important it was for me to eat. And I was very young. And so he'd go, gobble. And so all I know him is, Dr. Gobble Gobble, if you're listening, please contact me. You made an impact in my life. Okay. When you became a nurse, um, did you immediately decide to work in dialysis, or did you work in a hospital? I worked in a hospital. I worked in the burn center for many years and on a med surge floor. And dialysis always intrigued me in those days when I worked on med surge because the patients would, I would give the patients an early morning bath. They'd be gone for the whole day, and they'd come back at the end of the day, or often after I got back to, or after I'd left. And I thought, where in the world are they going for that, that long of a period? And even the other nurses in the hospital in those days didn't what, know what that much about this? dialysis. Um, 74. 74. So dialysis was not that old, maybe t- uh, eight years old, nine Well, years. it only had reimbursement for like two years. Mm-hmm. So it was really in its infancy stages. Mm-hmm. I think dialysis began in our hospital in, in 1970. So I'm a new patient. What are some of the things that I need to know? Well, Laurie, I think the first thing that I would ask you is what you already know or what your your questions are. I don't like to go up to a patient with a list of patient education. I think that's kind of demeaning. I want you to get to know me first, and I want to get Trust to know you so first. Trust is so important, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, patients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. That'd make a great bumper sticker, you know? Well, I know that one of the first things I would ask is, you know, is it going to hurt? You know, I see those needles, and you got these 15-gauge needles that go in your arm. And I want to know, to this day, you know, when I have surgery, is this going to hurt? And I had a doctor say to me, hey, I'm not going to feel a thing. If you ask me, is is this going to hurt, I'm going to say, I'm going to be honest with you, because otherwise you're never going to trust me again. And I'm going to say, it's going to hurt at the beginning. There are some medications that we can put on your site to help prevent that. Um, But they frown upon that. They did at my dialysis unit. 
they didn't want to put anything. They didn't want to give you lidocaine. We don't use lidocaine. It's not good for your access, and I would talk to the patient about that, but we have, there are some creams, yes, and it it. actually displaces the access a little bit, and if you're new, you probably have a a fairly fragile access. And that's so important to get an access, because if you have a catheter, which I know a lot of patients have a catheter put in, especially if it's emergency dialysis, and they don't want to get a, a they don't graft want to get or rid a fistula, which is the, the, the gold mm-hmm. standard, a fistula, because then they have to be stuck, but the highest rate of complications is with a catheter. I love the catheter. Well, I, I hated the catheter, but it didn't hurt. Well, we're pretty lucky up in Duluth. We have a really dedicated surgeon, so our catheter rate is very low. Very low. Is he yeah. good at putting fistulas in, too? Mm-hmm. Do you get stuck on a graft? Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes. it goes through your skin. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so the get graft. And uh, does it hurt as much as a fistula cantillation? Going through the skin is going through the skin um, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Once scar tissue builds up, I don't think it hurts as much, and that's what most of my patients say. Mm-hmm. I have never had to have it done, thank God. So why do people get a graft rather than a fistula? If it, you have to go through the skin anyway, why would people choose something that lasts three years? I don't think it's a patient choice. I think it's a surgeon choice. This is what I've heard. So they're a little easier to put in Mm -hmm. and they actually get reimbursed more for Mm -hmm. a graft as opposed to a fistula. So And they develop faster. I mean, there's no... You only have to wait until where it's joined is healed. You don't have to wait for it to develop and and get larger. Like a fistula has to mature. And if somebody said to you, hey, I'm getting this fistula, when will I be ready for dialysis? What would you say? Four to six months. And that's the hardest thing for us as nurses is being patient and letting it develop. And I would also tell the patient it's dependent on you. You know, you're going to have to exercise it. And I'm going to remind you several times and I'm going to show you. And I might um, have you do it during your downtime while you're watching your soap opera here in dialysis because you're so busy at home, I bet you you forgot a couple times to do your exercise. I just hated doing it. And it's not strenuous. I just hated you know, taking that rubber ball or that foam rubber ball and just squeezing it. I just hated it. Well, I if I made why. you uh, a performer and do it in front of me, would it be a little more fun? No. Okay. <laughs> I'd have to try something else. <laughs> well, I think, too, it's just, it's like you're tired and you, you just, you know, it's mm-hmm. like this feels silly to me. I don't see the outcome. Mm-hmm. But it's so important because if your fistula doesn't mature, then you're back to square one again. And you don't have as good of dialysis. You don't feel as as right. well. Right. What I didn't understand was all this really strenuous dietary restrictions. You know, you can have this, but you can't have this, but don't have too much of this. Very overwhelming for a new patient. Well, we're, we're also pretty <laughs> lucky. We have dietitians, and they have... They have little carts that come out that that they bring out and lists that they bring out and they talk about the importance of the different um, food groups and the phosphorus particularly and the potassium particularly and the fluid which is got to be hard for anybody especially when we do get hot days in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, Don't you hate dietitians? Well, no, and, I and love them. And, and, you know, one of the things that's interesting is maybe explain a little bit is why is so much attention paid to our weight when we're in dialysis? Well, I don't think the food restrictions has to do anything with your weight. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I, maybe some of the patients don't understand why, but, you know, but, they're always but, focusing on our weight. You know, what's your weight? What's your weight? Um, well, you gain this much, and it's because of the fluid. The fluid and, and what it can do to your heart, what it can do to your energy, how long it's going to 
allow you to live. You know, if you get fluid overloaded. What it can do to your girlish figure. Well, that too. But but I disagree with you when you say you don't think the, the nutrition has to do with fluid. Um, because a lot of patients don't realize that ice cream is fluid or that that thick thick soup that has all those vegetables in it that they eat with a fork is really fluid, fluid. i had Everything's one fluid one cute little man that for we struggled with his his weight and we could not figure out why in the world he was coming in so heavy and he um little scandinavian guy and we and i talked to him over and over and say now are you sure that you're not drinking anything he said i gave up even my coffee i'm not only drinking one cup of coffee a day so i made him take a diary home and um we tried and we tried and we tried and we just couldn't figure it out and he had four donuts for breakfast every morning and i said hmm well at least he's eating Right. A lot of sugar, but he's eating. A lot of sugar, but at least he's eating. And fat. And then I finally sat down to him and said, how do you eat those donuts with that little cup of coffee or half a a cup of coffee when you used to have five cups of coffee every morning? He said, well, I break off a piece of my donut, dunk it in the coffee, and eat it. (laughs) He was only putting one cup of coffee to his lips but probably four more were dunked dunking. in his oh, donut. Wait a, second, wait a second. He has one cup of coffee, and he's dunking the four donuts in. It's still only one cup of coffee. No, he, no he, he was only counting the cup of coffee that he literally drank. He put to his lips and drank. He kept filling it and ah, dunking his donut. Well, then that's the classification of an idiot. <laughs> you know? No, it's, it's a classification that we didn't understand. We didn't teach him well enough. Or he didn't understand. How can you blame yourself when he keeps pouring coffee? And, you know, that's to me is an idiot. You know, somebody who <laughs> keeps filling their coffee cup and soaking it like a sponge and, and ingesting it or drinking it. I mean, that's, that's somebody who's not mentally capable of understanding. Well, and sometimes when they're new, they're, they're uremic and they don't understand things. And they have blinders on because they don't want this disease to be happening to them. When I was on dialysis, and I was fully aware what I was doing, I, I wasn't playing the idiot, I would go to 7-Eleven and you know, get the big gulp and make sure it was the right carbonation and drink about half of it and then refill it. And I only counted it as one hmm. soda. You know, but that, I understood. You're just lying was, to yourself. Right, but I understood it. Not like this gentleman who says, hey, as long as I don't drink it straight, I can't. I don't need to count it. Well, did you tell the dietician what you were doing? I ended up in jail because I was caught stealing the big gulps, you know, because I was well, drinking maybe he day. just had the sweetest little wife that kept filling his cup of coffee, and he didn't know that he had five cups, that every time it went down a little bit, she was filling it up for him. Why do I have to sit in the chair for three hours or three and a half hours? Now, what, what kind of question would that be? Well, Why do I have to sit in the chair? Where else are you going to be? Lay on the floor and do that? Well, no, they don't want to stay. They don't want to stay. They oh, only well want to stay for the treatment. An, uh, those are also idiots. I've had people when I was in dialysis say, I'm done. I don't want to do anymore. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't understand that. When Listen, sti- if you're scheduled for three hours and you say I'm done after an hour. Now, if you're in pain and you have to end it, I understand that. 
because I've had to end like 15 minutes before, 20 minutes before, because my arm was spasming so bad and painful. But to say, look, I want to go shop for shoes at Nordstrom's. <laughs> I want to get off dialysis. But they know? may not connect that it's actually relates. Like they think the fluids off of them, they're mm-hmm. at a dry weight. And they don't realize that it's actually cleaning the toxins out of their blood. And when you're uremic, you can't think clearly. I now, mean, it really makes that? I you. don't know what that means. What is uremia? Um, what does that mean? Uremia, well, let's let Mary ask the explain. Nurse. Yeah. Uremia is one of the toxins that your kidneys normally remove. And when your kidneys aren't working, it, it causes a lot of different things. It causes nausea and vomiting, lack of appetite. You can't think straight. Many of the symptoms of the flu, and that's why a lot of people delay going to the doctor because it's kind of like having the flu, and then they get used to feeling sick that they forget what it's like to feel good again or feel good. And so they just think, oh, I must be getting older. I'm this. This is just me, or this is just my life now. So they don't even really realize. I remember talking to my nephrologist when he kept telling me to go on dialysis, and I said, "No, I I feel fine." Mm-hmm. And and I said, "I feel fine." And he goes, "No, you don't." I mean, he said to me, "No, you don't." And then you know, I went away and I into Europe to do a film, and I I made it through the film, but I came home and. I started to get nauseous and throw mm-hmm. up at night. And when I, after about the third night of throwing up in a row, I realized, you know what? Maybe he's telling me something that I should do. And I, it wasn't ignorance; it was just denial, denial. and uh, mm-hmm. obstinance. Well, when uremia builds up in your blood, it makes you confused, but it also you increases your straight. appetite because mm-hmm. your bloodstream is full of all this junk it increases your appetite decreases. no it decreases well I, and oh, don't you think a lot of it's that it decreases your appetite because you're so nauseated what do you want to eat for and then exactly. people will tell me they're like oh I w- and when i got off of dialysis i was so hungry oh and it's like starving. because it's taking all the toxins out of your mm-hmm. body and then sends a signal we need more nutrition and i understand a lot of my patients say when they're uremic food doesn't taste good right. it has different taste to them so it doesn't taste good Never so, experienced that. I've always loved food. So, you know, nutrition's so important. But I, I think one of the interesting, we talked a little earlier, and it's like when you walk into a dialysis unit, there's so much lingo going on. You know, so many different, uh, you know, acronyms that you hear flying around. And um, that's one of the things that I think patients have to learn pretty quickly is to learn the language of this illness. That's for sure. I really hurt a patient years ago, and I'll never forgive myself. I was working the acute unit, and in those days, we usually did three acute runs before they went to the outpatient unit. And I had this cute little gentleman, had him the first day I introduced myself, and he told me he was afraid to death of the machine. He was frightened seeing the blood go outside of his body, so I explained that to him. He said he didn't think he was going to stay on dialysis for very long. It would be a burden on his family, and he was too sick. And I said, just give us three months. You are sick, and just give us three months, and then you can really decide. And we talked, and we talked, and we had a good day. And the next morning, I had him again. It was his second day. And he came in jovial and talking to me and was teasing me about my Green Bay Packers because we had shared that information. (laughs) And I drew his labs, and as I was walking to bring his labs to the lab area, his machine alarmed. And there are some alarms that you need to respond to immediately, and there's some that you, you can get there in just a couple minutes. So I looked over my shoulder, and as I went around his bed getting to the lab area, and I saw that it was um, his dialysate bath 
jug had gone empty. So he had a conductivity alarm. And I know that that's something that you do not have to respond to right away. There was another nurse in the room and he was quickly coming, leaving his patient and quickly coming over to answer this alarm. And I turned to him and said, don't worry about it, Bob. He just needs a bath. Never thought anything of it. And I went back and did some more care on this patient. The rest of that day, that patient hardly talked to me and he just, his whole affect changed. And I kept thinking that maybe he was getting dry, maybe he was sick, kept asking him and he just would answer me with um, one words, one word sentences or one word period. And I kept trying to talk about my Packers or tell little jokes or tried to educate him and I could just see that that light was out in his eyes. He just was not interested anymore finished his treatment. He went back to his room. I gave report to his nurse. The next day, I had him again. And I thought, this has to change. Something has to change because he came in with that sadder affect again. So I got him going, got my second patient going so that um, I wouldn't be off schedule. And, And I talked to him and all this. When my second patient was going, I pulled up my chair and I said, there is something definitely wrong. You're acting different. Did I do something to hurt you? He said, nope, nothing. And I just sat there. And it's very hard to me to just have a period of silence. But I just sat there. And all of a sudden, really quietly, he said to me, I'll have you know I take a bath every single. And I thought, well, that's a weird response. And then I realized what I said yesterday, and I had said to another nurse, don't worry about him, he just needs a bath. So I sat, I looked down, and I picked <laughs> up the jug, and I shook it, and I said, this is a bath, I didn't mean to hurt you. We call this a bath, and anytime there's a word that we say, you need to ask us, because we, I would not intentionally hurt anyone. I had the exact same experience. And the alarm went off, and the nurse said, he just needs a bath. And the other nurse said, oh, you mean the dialysate? And the nurse said, no, he really needs a bath. Driving a cab in a Big Apple could really get on your nerves. With all the traffic, the noises, the rude drivers. Oh, watch where you're going, wise guy. Get some glasses. Oh, where was I? Oh, yeah, the rude drivers. There's one thing I wish was a little louder or not so quiet. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. I know it's a big word, but you know what? It's a big problem. It's often referred to as a silent disease. I didn't even know what I had until I experienced weakness, achy bones, itchy skin, and sexual dysfunction. But you didn't hear that last one from me. Some people call it the bone disease because of the loss of too much phosphorus and calcium. But what you don't know, Mr. Smarty Pants, is that it also affects soft tissue like the heart, the lungs, the blood vessels, bada bing, bada boom, and that's about everything. So don't be a wise guy. Wise up and talk to your doctor about the big white. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. Whoa, for crying out loud, do me a favor, Grandma. Get off the road and throw away your keys. You just out my name. And you know, wherever I am, I'll come running, running, yeah, yeah, to see you. We're back with Mary Hoglum, and one of the things that patients need to know is about infection. Um, when you're a new patient, you probably are having a lot of procedures, and share a little bit about what well, new patients need to know death. about infection. You know, when you first go into dialysis, you know, they say, oh, you know, you're so prone to infections and everything, and, you know, infections are now a very hot topic in the news right. with um, MRSA. MRSA. Yeah. And, 
Um, and they get it in healthcare, and they specifically mentioned on the national news in healthcare facilities and dialysis units. Mm -hmm. They said that, and that really scared me. And I think that's why there's st such strict guidelines in dialysis units, because we're working around blood and about around patients that are immunosuppressed, mm -hmm. they have diabetes, so they may have wounds, we're cannulating their access or opening up their catheters. So I think it is important that the patients know about infection control, about um, washing their arm before they come into the unit. Even though I'm gonna wash it in just a minute and clean the site, I want one more time. And they'll say, well, I just washed it at home. And I say, yeah, but you put that jacket on that you've worn 15 times. I said, Will you just wash it one more time? And if they can't, if they physically can't, then I'm going to wash um, it for them. Um, sometimes I make a game of it, and I, you know, I'll ask the patient, "Did you wash your arm?" and and they might turn around and say, "Did you wash your hands?" And I say, "I did, but you know what? When you notice that that I haven't, because sometimes I'm human. Sometimes I forget. I say, I love you to remind me." because I want it to be the best outcomes for you, and I don't want to take infection around this whole unit. You know, it, it's interesting. I had a catheter at first, like most people, and they would always wear gloves mm -hmm. and, and a mask. And I noticed one time uh, my nurse was not wearing a mask, and I mentioned it to her, and she got very pissed off at me. that I, you know, She took it as a challenge that she was doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And all I was saying is, oh, I noticed normally that you wear a mask. How come you're not wearing one today? Mm -hmm. And that really bothered her. She was very defensive. And also, it's funny, I got to say, as a patient, a dialysis patient, an ex-dialysis patient, one of the things I hated the most was when my uh, tech or nurse reeked of cigarette smoke. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize it. I don't think smokers realize it. And they're bending over me, and, and I can hardly breathe because I can't stand the smell of an ashtray. Mm -hmm. And... How do you, that's like saying, take a bath, mm -hmm. you know? You, what do you say to them? You can't, how, how would you say that to them? I, I would just be honest with them and tell them that it's offensive. They're supposed to be washing their hands when they come in the unit. The hands are covered with gloves. Some people don't realize how it lingers. I used to smoke and... But um, it's not their hands though. Uh, no, it's their clothes, it's their, clothes, it's their hair. They, they get a break, yep. they go outside and smoke, and then they come back in and start taking care of me. Mm -hmm. Now they may have washed their hands, but the smoke is in there. Have you ever gone into a casino? I know you're a big gambler, because I was oh, told I'm not. that. <laughs> well, Lori told me you were a huge gambler and you used to have a problem and everything. But have you ever gone to a casino and, and left for the mm -hmm. night? I mean, you have to throw those clothes in the washer. Mm -hmm. You cannot wear those clothes again. So. And it's much the same with um, a lot of our patients complain with people that wear really strong perfumes. And, you know, if, if my patient tells me that, that a perfume, a scent, a hand cream, anything is really bothering them, then I, I need to make note of that. Yeah, people and have many a lot facilities, of allergies today. Yes, and I think it's getting worse. And I think many facilities are, are telling staff no perfume or things like that. They're prohibiting smoking in many of our clinics now. I think we've only got two that there can be any smoking in. I had a friend who literally could not go to the department store because of the smell of the perfume. Mm -hmm. She had to stay away from that floor level. Mm -hmm. And especially when the clerks like start to chase you. you no, know, they chase you? you with the little cards mm -hmm. and here, take this. I remember, but I got to tell you, just as a teenager, you know, I, I grew up really poor, and if I was ever going out on a date, I would always stop at a store. <laughs> 
and put on the cologne at cologne. the store. And then so your date would think you smelled hot. Exactly. You know, and it never cost me a dime. You know, Jade East was very expensive in those Jade days. Jade East? Yeah. Don't Jade you remember Jade East? And English leather. English, English leather, leather, Jade East, and Old Spice. Old Spice. I used to buy my dad Old Spice. It's mm. really interesting because, you, you know, your smell recall is so strong that if I walk in and just smell Old Spice, it immediately takes me back to when I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is, you know, when you walk into a dialysis unit, when I go into certain, there's certain, it'll take me back to a certain memory. I, it's the same thing with me. If I go into a delicatessen, it takes me back to my childhood. Exactly. Especially the smoked fish and everything. <laughs> Which you must eat a lot of that being a Viking or married to a Viking. I'm acquiring that taste. Yes. You must eat a lot of cheese because you're a Packers oh, I do. fan. You're a cheddar yes. head. Mm -hmm. What do nurses need from patients to do the best job? Obviously, if we don't talk, but what are some of the things that we can do as a new patient going into a unit to get the best care? I like my patients to be open and and I tell them, you know, almost everybody comes frightened because you get these little, I live up in Viking country, you get these little stoic mm -hmm. Norwegians that are afraid to tell you that they're, they're frightened. And I think that's normal, right? Yes. If you're not frightened, something's wrong yes. with you. So I kind of relate <laughs> other patients' fears to them um, until one of them hits home and they'll say, yeah, that's how I feel. It's I, without giving the other patient's right. name. Sometimes it really helps them sitting in that waiting room, hearing other patients' experiences, because those other patients are like the Walmart Mart greeters. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you all of the best things that happen or the worst the things worst that things. happen. So, what Walmart do you go to? Uh, I don't, they don't say anything to me, but hello, welcome to Walmart. <laughs> they don't tell me any stories. Let me ask you something. Do you believe in support groups for dialysis people? Are they helpful or you don't think they help? Or sometimes people just sit around and complain, you know? I think they're wonderful. I've been, I would love to get something going up in northern Minnesota and northern Wisconsin. Um, in fact, one of the physicians just talked to me recently about what more can they do? How can these patients learn more? Um, they're, they're afraid to ask us or they don't understand what we say. And I was telling her about um, Lori's group and I'm hope, and I said, do you have any patients that, that would really be invested in doing some of this stuff, um, starting a support group? And she said, yes, she really is. A perfect example is when Lori came up to Duluth and, and spoke to our patients. It was supposed to be from, seven to eight or seven to eight thirty it was ten o'clock and At there night. was still a line of patients <laughs> there and it was Lori Hartwell Day too. Yes, it was. Uh, it was Lori. And the next morning, we had to be at the radio, at the TV station, station. at six o'clock in the morning. And I live an hour out of town. But they were just thrilled. And but They're it was looking the, for hope. Yes. You know what? What new patients need more than anything is they need hope. And it was some of the old patients though too. And it was it was kind of funny because I was almost pulling teeth trying to get people to come to that and saying, "Oh, we're going to have snacks, and you're going to get a book. Lori wrote <laughs> this book, and you're going to get this." And it well, was. You're free stuff. Oh, God, show I have up. to go to dialysis three times a week, and you want me to come to something else. Well, I'll tell you, there are still patients that are talking about that and what they learned and hearing from another patient. It was probably, it was the best part of my career. I you mean, know, I uh, was on Next Stage, mm -hmm. and uh, it was just a home dialysis. And even though I'm off of Next Stage now, 
I still go to the support group for Next Stage because mm -hmm. there's other people who are newly right. on Next mm -hmm. Stage and they want to hear the experience mm -hmm. of somebody right. who's been on it. It's so, so important. So I enjoy talking to it. And I find now when I, I go to a very big hospital just for uh, follow-up on a transplant, and I know, and the and it's huge hospital. So there's there's at least a hundred people in the waiting room, and they start talking to you. What is your experience on this anti-rejection drug? Are you having tremors? Are you mm -hmm. losing your hair? And it becomes almost like a support group. It's therapeutic. You know, it's very therapeutic. It's like, wow, I'm not the only one that is losing my hair. Or I'm not the only one that shakes face. like a leaf and they try to button their shirt. Uh, mm -hmm. you right. know? And you think, oh my God, do I have MS on top of it? Or I have Parkinson's disease on top of this? You know? Yeah. And you realize that it's just the drugs. And that's the joy of, of my job when patients do get transplants. They kind of miss us, you know, in a different type of way. They don't miss the treatments. They don't miss the time away from their lives. But they miss us, and they do come back and say hi. And and that part's exciting to me. I love to see them, and I always say, well, how are you doing? And they, they'll, they'll say, yeah, I'm doing good, but i got to get up all night long and pee. And I say, right. and you're complaining yeah. about that? Now, do you miss the patients themselves? Oh, and I also, do. do you get attached to some of the patients? I've seen them three times a week for sometimes four, five, six, seven years. Do you get attached to certain patients? Absolutely. I hear a lot of conferences about staying detached you know, you hear different presenters, and it's like, you know what, if you have a healthcare professional who's been taking care of you for many years, if they're in the nursing or healthcare profession, it's because they want to help people. And that particular personality, it's impossible for them not to get attached. There's there's different ways of being attached. There's going out with somebody after work. Right, there's, that's different. There's, um, but just having an emotional connection. Absolutely. And, and like, yeah. Or going to Cabo San Luca with like the patient. I had, I had more you don't want to do that. I had more renal care professionals at my wedding than my own family. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's because it, your family hates you. Oh. <laughs> they also say that nurses are hard and that they have no feelings. And I can't tell you, I the times that I've, I, me and other nurses have cried when we've lost a patient, mm -hmm. um, when we see their name in the obituary. But we have to be really careful because I do have some favorite patients. But you know what? As I walk through the unit. Everybody's my favorite patient, and I treat them all the same because that's not fair. And then there's that patient fair. that you hate to see, <laughs> and you, you know can't what? stand that you know it's Wednesday and it's their day. But if I can get them to open up, and if I can get them to talk to me, a lot of times when um, patients are angry, it's because mm -hmm. you they're know they're angry. they're not angry at you. And sometimes healthcare, and I've had a situation when I've been an angry patient. And You've be been an angry yes, patient. Yes, I mean I know I'm mostly chronically happy, but there are times when I'm just frustrated, and, and people are so used to seeing me being happy mm -hmm. that if we they think they're, that I'm mad at them or something, and it's like what I need is when I'm up, I need somebody to sit down by my bed and just be there so mm -hmm. I can feel like opening up because. It's, it's usually when you're angry, then people avoid you. Mm -hmm. But anger is a normal progression of the feeling stages that you go through, mm -hmm. especially when you're diagnosed. And sometimes the patient will take their anger out on the person that they feel the safest taking their anger out on. Um, and I had a patient that did that, and it was a long story, and he hated me for the longest period of time. But what we found out in the end was he stopped taking his antidepressants because his meds cost so much money. And he figured that 
God, he doesn't use antidepressants anymore. I'm already, I'm not depressed. I don't need them. He didn't realize that it was the antidepressants that were helping him so that he wasn't depressed. So in the end, he ended up having to have an intervention and we didn't even know he was on an antidepressant because he was going to a different doctor and it was kind of this secret thing. You didn't want anybody to know probably. Because of the stigma. After he had been on the antidepressants for a while, he called me over to his chair and he said, hey, Polak, come over here. And I went over there and I said, what? And he said... He called you Polak? Yeah, I'm Polish and lots of my patients call me that. My oh. husband says it shows. But so I sat down next to him and he said, I just want to apologize. And I said, you have nothing to apologize for. He said, stop, let me apologize. So I did. And I listened to him, and I said, uh, you, I still feel you have nothing to apologize for, and no matter how angry you were at me, I st still kept rounding on you and watching you, even though you wouldn't let me come by your chair. And he said, I know, I was checking that out. When, while I sat there, I said that I would accept his apology under one circumstance, which he didn't even really need to apologize. But he said, well, what's that? And he kind of got a little bit defensive, and I said, you have all the rights in the world, but next time you decide to go off of your antidepressants, will you just tell someone so we can watch you closer? And he said, it's a deal. And that day I had the best pair of Green Bay Packer gloves in my locker, and he swears he didn't do it, and I know that he had to ha be in cahoots with some staff to put them in there because it was in a, our locker rooms in an off-the-way place. And I know it's from him trying to say he's sorry, and he really didn't have to. But those things happen. That's such a great lesson that a lot of healthcare professionals need to know because it's like, don't take it personal. Mm -hmm. This is about our life, and we probably think we might be on the end of it. Mm -hmm. And if we're actually angry, because I, I get a lot of calls, oh, this patient's angry. I'm like, good. I mean, they're going to need to fight, and mm -hmm. anger is a very big part of fighting when you have kidney disease. And that actually helps you get through. And sometimes it's it's difficult because people think the anger, it becomes more routine for mm -hmm. people in dialysis. And they forget every time a new patient's there, they're experiencing everything for the first time. And we also don't know the shoes that those patients walked in. Anger might be a part of their daily life. They might right. have brought, been brought up with everyone angry at them, and that's, that's the norm for them. So we, we kind of have to look at the whole picture. But even when I worked in the burn center years ago, um, I loved those spunky little angry little kids because you know what? They were the survivors. It's so true. I can't tell you how many times I've been called a pain in the butt. Well, yeah, that's, that is true, and I wanted to attest to that. You know, because antidepressants were a new thing to me. I never took antidepressants till I met Lori Hartwell. Hello. Hey, Betty. Mary and I are going to lunch at that new Italian restaurant across from the mall. Dying to go to that place. I hear they got great salads. Then the three of us can do a little shopping across the street and just have a girls' day out. Mm, that sounds like fun. I can't wait. Meet us at 1230 at Tuscany's. Ugh. Wait a second. Today's Thursday. I've got dialysis. <sighs> just go in early. Are you kidding? They are so strict about the times, and besides, they're all full all day. Maybe next time. I'll tell you about the restaurant and what Mary and I bought at the mall. Such a good friend. There's gotta be a better way. Instead of next time, how about next stage? What Betty doesn't know is there is a better way. The Next Stage System 1, the first truly portable home hemodialysis machine, can help you take back your life and set your own schedule for home hemodialysis treatments. After a short training period for you and a partner, 
You have your own portable dialysis machine right in your own home. All of your supplies are delivered to your doorstep. Taking back your life and setting your own schedule are just part of it. Doing dialysis at home also allows for more frequent dialysis, which better imitates the function of a normal kidney. Many patients doing more frequent dialysis report that they have more energy and feel better. Want to travel? With your doctor's prescription, Next Stage can support travel anywhere in the continental U.S. The Next Stage machine is about the size of a 13-inch TV and has a sturdy travel case available, and all your supplies will be delivered to your destination. So schedule dialysis around your life instead of your life around dialysis. Ask your doctor if home hemodialysis with the Next Stage System 1 is right for you. For more information, call Next Stage at 1-866-NX-STAGE or visit www.nextstage.com. So now I know what it's like to be a new patient like I was. And you know, it was, you know, I got to say, it was really scary. The very first time I walked into a dialysis unit, I never knew. I didn't even know what dialysis was. I, I thought dialysis was the removal of unwanted hair. <laughs> but then I realized it was electrolysis. And, and you know, it, electrolysis it was, it, instead of electrolytes? Is that the joke? No, it's not. A, you're ruining my jokes. Gobble, 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 gobble. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. I never took antidepressants till I met Lori Hartwell. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our healthcare team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.